Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat, and today I have somebody joining. We have Dennis, who is also joining us today to talk about all of the news of the travel and tech world. Hello, everybody. There we go. So today we're going to talk about Boeing, and boy, the news is like just absolutely getting worse and worse and worse. And there was a point where I was like, you know, I'm not that worried about flying in a Boeing plane. And now I'm kind of like thinking it's kind of amazing that there haven't been more accidents. We're going to talk about what a disaster Boeing is. Then we're also going to talk about, uh, what are we going to talk about? Oh, we're going to talk about travel visas and how countries can easily make tourism money, tourism dollars, just by making one change, one tiny change that you wouldn't think makes a whole lot of difference when it comes to visitors and tourism. But this one change really has impacted Turkey's economy in a huge major way. And lastly, I want to talk about Apple Vision Pro and pose a question that I came across on the internet to you about, is this really, are we going to find the end of, like, is this going to end traveling? Like, are we just going to get more and more VR headsets and like, is this it? Is it, are we turning into the matrix? Is that, that's what, that's what we're wondering. All right. So a couple of things before we get started, a couple of new videos out on the YouTube, Fox Nomad YouTube channel. Um, I've got one coming out today with a jacket, which has solved all of my problems for the most part. So that is the North Face Tri-Climate Eco Thermoball. It is the absolute worst name you could name a jacket, but it is really a fantastic jacket that you can use. Here's the thing. I went skiing like two weeks ago and it was minus 17 Celsius. Today it is 17 Celsius. Now, that's a pretty wild swing. And I have this jacket, which is like the transformer of jackets, which I've used in all of those climates and it's held up pretty well. So that's something you can check out. Um, also, Airbnb has introduced a new fee. So if you want to figure out, if you want to know how to get around that fee, it is a very simple trick. It will save you 2%. But actually, when you when you make this little change in the settings of your Airbnb account, you'll save 5 to 6% on your next Airbnb booking. So there you go. A couple of little things that you can check out. That Those are both on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so now let's jump into Boeing. So it turns out as the investigation has begun and is continuing after the Alaska Airlines incident, we we put out that episode where we talked about all of the problems and all of the trouble that Boeing, like how Boeing got here, right? It's, it's competition with Airbus. It is trying to catch up and save money and cut corners. And they're running into a huge number of problems. So right now, the 737 MAX 8 and 9, there are three versions. There's the 7, the 8, and the 9. The 8 and the 9 are the number one most ordered planes. In other words, there I think there are 4,300 orders for 737 MAX planes. That means there's like this huge many years pipeline where they're going to be selling these planes. Well, the latest news is that the 737 MAX, the Alaska Airlines, was actually missing key bolts from the door plug. This is according to the NTSB. 
the National Transportation Safety Board issued a preliminary report into last month's Alaska Airlines door plug blowout, saying evidence shows that four bolts, like not one, four bolts were missing from the apparatus at the time of the incident. It is amazing that, very fortunate that nobody was injured in that. I mean, that is that is crazy to me. It also shows like how much redundancy, I guess, is built into planes, maybe, uh, into the structural integrity of a plane. Um, so anyway, the report says, in the wake of the incident, um, 171 MAX 9 737 aircraft, which have the same mid-cabin door plug as the plane involved in the Alaska Airlines incident, those were grounded, and they've been under scrutiny by regulators since the explosive decompression that happened on January 5th. So the plug, this plug, the bolt is called an MED plug. That's what they're calling it in the report. And according to the NTSB, two vertical movement assess arrestor bolts, sorry, two vertical movement arrestor bolts, two upper guide track bolts, forward lower hinge guide fitting, and forward lift assist spring were missing and have not been recovered. That That is a lot of parts to be missing from a plane. You know what I mean? Like that is, that's a lot. That. It's not like a screw was missing. I mean, these are like bolts that are keeping the plane literally together. Um, and so the report... Did they, someone take them home or something? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy that they can leave the, the assembly line with all of the checks that are supposed to happen. So to me, that's like there's a fail failure not only at Boeing, but also of the regulators who should be checking these things, right? Like they... Yeah. like. Boeing has been relied on, like I said in the problem with Boeing episode, that the regulators have been relying on Boeing engineers to be, you know, telling them the truth. And I'm not saying they've been dishonest, but the reason that you have those checks is, yeah, they may have the best engineers in the world, but mistakes happen, right? And there's, it's not only in the design, but mistakes can happen in the production, mistakes can happen in the, um, you know, anywhere down the line. So for them to be missing four bolts is pretty catastrophic. I mean, it's it's pretty wild that they don't. Um, and it, the report says a lack of damage patterns and the absence of contact damage or deformation around the holes where the bolts should have been fastened indicates that they were not there in the first place. Um, let's see. It says that the bolts were removed to perform other repair work at the Boeing factory after the fuselage was delivered and they were not replaced before the interior wall panels were reinstalled. Uh, let's see, anything else? Yeah, so these planes now are under intense scrutiny. So, I, I mean, for those of you who are listening who don't know that anytime there's an incident, it doesn't have to be an incident like you know, part of the plane flying off. I mean, obviously they, they investigate those, but <laughs> there was an incident, I think last year, I think it was a Cana Cana Canadian, uh, Canadian Airlines flight that was coming in to land and there were four other planes on the runway and it had it hit, they were cleared to land on that runway and had it landed, it would have killed most likely 1,071 people who were in those planes and caused a massive explosion, which could have damaged the, the terminal, caused a fire, like all kinds of things. 
So since that incident, there was an investigation and now they've changed the procedure for plane landing. Basically those planes were on, it was at night and they were idle. They were just waiting for their turn to take off. And when that happens is they basically, they power down their lights. The exterior lights are not on the, the runway lights, like all the lights aren't on. And so when the pilot on the ground saw that this plane was landing coming toward him, he turned all the lights of the plane on, you know, to, to indicate that to the other pilot, fortunately he saw, or she saw the lights and then, you know, aborted the landing and, and, you know, that happened and now they've changed the procedure. So anytime this kind of thing happens, they, they change the procedures, but this is like, this is way more than, uh, this is a major change. I mean, they're going to have to look at the factory. They're going to have to, they're looking at all the planes, you know, like, was this a one-off incident where the bolts were missing? Were the fact that the bolts are missing, was that what caused the problem? Like, did the problem happen because of that? Or does it just happen that the problem, you know, was there and the bolts are missing? Like, there's a lot, a lot of questions that need to be answered. And so, yep. This flight, sorry, there might be a little bit of a lag. Um, this flight I read... Um, or this airplane had 151 flights before this incident happened. And that includes like the test flights, you know, where the plane is empty and everything like that. But don't they check? <laughs> like, I don't know a lot about air, airplane regulations, but aren't there supposed to be inspections, you know, between flights and things too? Yeah, so they, they do do checks be before and after every flight. So there are always checks uh, before, after, and then before again flight. But I'm guessing if bolts are missing from the interior of the plane or there's some damage structurally that is a problem in the design, they wouldn't detect it because they're probably not looking at, right. you know, the, the bolts and the, like, they just assume those are there. You know, I don't know if the sensors of the plane, like there are sensors in the plane which would indicate like, there's damage to the fuselage. Mm -hmm. But if a part is missing, like a bolt is missing, I don't think there's any way that that would set off an alarm. Now, the, the report doesn't say that the, there were some incidents where the pilots detected that there were issues with pressurization. They got warning lights prior. Now, these being new planes, when something like that happens, it is up to not the airline, it is up to Boeing to send their engineers out to figure out why those lights are going off. So whenever those warning lights go off, especially on a new plane, the engineers will come out and check it. That didn't happen. Boeing told okay. the pilots, they told the airline, nothing to, it's nothing to worry about. It is just a standard press, pressurization issue. And, and yeah, so it, it, it might just be negligence. Like they didn't know that they didn't put two and two together. It, it could just be like, I mean, the worst case scenario is it was a known problem. I mean, we've seen reports coming out that there were known issues. The engineers have been saying it. There have been some whistleblowers coming out from Boeing now. So yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Um, and the fact that there are problems with at the factory is highlighted by the fact that Boeing workers might be going on strike. So they are demanding a 40% pay increase 
And yeah, this is, if you are a Boeing executive right now, you are not having, you're not having the best time. And honestly, I don't know if we can really feel sorry for them because at this point, um, so this labor rift has been 10 years in the making. This is according to an MSN article. Boeing's largest union, the International Association, uh, Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, is still smarting over a 2014 deal that sacrificed pensions, locked in minimal raises, and tied the hands of activists for a decade. Union leaders will demand a 40% pay raise over three to four years. Emboldened by a resurgent U.S. labor movement, a scarcity of qualified aerospace engineers, and pressure on Boeing to stabilize work in its factories. Quote, our goal is to negotiate a contract that we as a union, uh, that we as union leadership and our members can accept. John Holden, president of IAM District 751, which represents 32,000 Seattle area Boeing mechanics. We don't take what's going, we don't take going on strike lightly, but we're willing to do it. So this is also something that is uh, looming. A strike would shut down Boeing plants in Washington and Oregon, including assembly lines for its cash cow 737 jets. Uh, and this contract expires in September. So with all of this stuff going on, and there's a lot more to this article. I'll link it in the show notes. But with all this going on, there is now a strike looming, which I don't think it's going to be interesting what Boeing does with that because th this is like i mean both 737 incidents from two two three years ago the crashes this um i think emirates is talking about changing their order of 737 mm -hmm. and, and i don't know if they can get out of that i don't know what's in the contract so this is definitely hurting their bottom line a lot i don't like this is going to really come to a head. I wonder what Boeing is going to do because 40% is a pretty significant pay raise that they're asking for. But if the factory shut down, like they're, they're... Yeah, but I guess if, if people are canceling their orders, you know, they might end up laying people off anyway, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's I would assume. The problem is there are not enough mechanics, like skilled mechanics. They can't easily replace those mm -hmm. those people and the problem and also the the other problem is boeing has no other planes like they they are losing the narrow narrow airliner jet body race with airbus they need jets that are more efficient that are smaller so on and so on so they're in a real dilemma and it's a dilemma of their own creation like mm -hmm. it was really just they, they're doing sort of so yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. Big company faced with a strike. Uh, that that should be interesting. Also, big company faced with planes that are clearly not made well. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you'd think they would be. I mean, forty percent is a is a big increase, but you think they would be inclined to, you know, keep their employees happy, <laughs> considering everything that's going on. Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough. I mean, if they have any more accidents, the pro the thing is, like, if an airline has an accident, like Malaysian Airlines, right? We have two major incidents over a very short period of time, really hurts and harms the airline. Mm -hmm. The thing is with Boeing, it's like most people don't know what plane they're getting on. They don't care. I mean, they don't. Have, I mean, when you book a flight, it will tell you what plane it is. But have you ever looked it up? 
Nope. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Not until a few weeks ago. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the public is like, it's it's not directly like the public perception of Boeing is bad, but I don't know if people are going to change their habits to not fly on Boeing. Nobody, I mean, that's a lot. Like you've got to go through all the trouble to find a flight and then look up the air, the aircraft. So, but yeah, if there are more incidents, there's going to be, it's yeah, it's going to be trouble. Uh, all right. So that's depressing news about Boeing. However, better news for Turkey and other countries is visas. So uh, let's see this article. This is in the BBC and it says two of the most visited cities in the world right now are in Turkey. And uh, I think you can guess what at least one of them is. And the second one, if you've been to Turkey, you probably guess. So it's Istanbul and Antalya. They are the two most visited cities, two of the most visited cities in the world. And a big part of that is a recent lift of visa requirements. And it has basically removed the, the need for an e-visa Going visiting Turkey is was pretty easy, even with the e visa. It just required an online. You just go online to the site. You paid, I think it was twenty five or seventy five dollars. Um, but now that's that's gone away for a bunch of countries, and that has caused the Turkish tourism industry to rebound to about ninety seven, sorry, ninety percent of pre pandemic levels, with nine hundred seventy five million people going abroad throughout the year, and many of those are going to Turkey. So uh, let's see, in the top 100 city destinations index of 2023, two of the top 10 cities around the world for international arrivals, Istanbul and Antalya. And those are a increase of 26% for Istanbul. London was the second biggest increase uh, when it comes to tourism that was up 17%. Dubai went up 18%. Um, but first of all, Turkey has a huge advantage of being a hub in the world. Like Istanbul is a very connected city. Turkish Airlines flies to a bunch of places. But if you're wondering, does like does going online and having to pay even like one dollar, does that stop people from traveling to a country? And it seems like the answer is yes. So since Turkey has lifted this uh this visa, their economy has just boomed. And they have increased their flights by 16.3% and eliminating the need for visas for US, Canadian and Mexican travelers has for visits less than 90 days. That has caused the number of international travelers to increase by 10.4% last year to more than 49 million visitors. Um, also, it helps that the, you know, the economy, the conversion is really good right now with the lira. If you have euros or dollars or a strong currency, um, so the cost of living in Turkey is estimated to be 54% lower than the U.S., which makes it a cheap destination as well. There's also growing medical tourism. Um, 1.2 million people traveled to Turkey in 2022 for medical tourism, which is a 308% increase compared to 2021, and so on. So, And they're all-inclusive dental tourism operations as well. So you can have a vacation, get a tan, and fix your teeth all in one. So this is something that does. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I was just going to ask: Does medical tourism include hair transplants? Because I know I, that's a big. <laughs> I I would bet that it does. It doesn't say here, oh, yeah. which I'm actually surprised because. Me too. Like it is, it is massive. So, 
you know, I think a lot of people are wondering, what's the big deal with, and I think the U.S. should take note of this. So we have the, in the U.S., it's the ETSA, which is basically for Europeans, you just go online. It's, you know, you, you fill out a very basic information. It doesn't take long. I think there's some form, I don't even think you have to pay for it, to be honest. And then you get approved for your visa, which is, I think, 90 days or something like that. And that is enough to keep people from traveling to a place. Like, it is clear now. And we've seen Kenya trying to remove restrictions. We've seen Nigeria trying to remove a bunch of African countries have been playing around with this. But it's been sort of held up in certain places because of, well, they get income from people buying visas. So they get that direct income. There's corruption involved. So a lot of governments go, oh, they have to pay to visit us, $100 for a visa or whatever it is. So we'll take that. But I think a lot of countries have realized over the years that Iraq just released, just released, just removed their visa uh, requirement last year and their tourism is booming now as well. I think a lot of countries realize that people's, like if it's $100 to visit a country or $5, if that person doesn't visit your country because they can't be bothered to get the visa, they're going to go somewhere that's easy. You're missing out. Once they're there, they're spending all of their money in your country. Like all of it. Mm -hmm. Tourism is easy money. Like very easy money. It helps not only by getting direct income, but it also creates jobs for people in the tourism industry. It also spawns a bunch of other industries like I mean, you've got restaurants, you've got transportation, you've got rentals, you've got accommodation, like internal flights, like all kinds of stuff. So I think this kind of is, is setting a trend. I, I mean, a lot of African countries have tried. They've sort of pulled back. Um, I know a lot of Southeast Asian countries have, they've been, they've been on this for a couple of years ahead of Turkey by removing a lot of visa restrictions. A lot of countries in the Middle East are doing it. So... Yeah, if you want to travel somewhere and you are wondering, like for me, most of the countries that I haven't visited yet require a visa, like some visa or another. And it's just like, it's just way easier to just book a ticket and just show up in a place. I mean, that's, I wish the whole yeah, world were like, like tri that. Like but... trip planning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, trip planning is already kind of a pain sometimes. So adding an extra step is definitely a deterrent, you know, especially when you're going somewhere like Turkey, it's, you know, I think the big draw with Turkey is that it's cheap for American tourists who go there. And at least for me, that's a big, you know, like big reason for me to visit somewhere, you know, if I can not, you know, break the bank. Um, and so having like an extra step of applying for a visa and filling out forms and doing all of that stuff, you know, kind of makes me take a step back usually. So it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like technically what also people don't realize is like when you go somewhere that's visa free, technically you are on a visa, you are on a tourist visa or travel visa or whatever. There's still a visa that you are under. It's just, you don't have to do anything to get it. You just get it by the nature of your passport. And so, mm -hmm. like, I think the U.S. would, I mean, the U.S. is a very popular destination for a lot of people because there's, a, I mean, it's just a massive destination. But, like, 
if they would remove some of the restrictions, I think it would be a big increase to the economy. I don't think there's any like desire or, I mean, not desire, but I, I think right now with immigration being the topic that it is in the U.S., I don't think that there's any push for that. Like, I, I don't think it would be very popular to pass a bill of like, let's remove, you know, that's a for, you know, all the travelers. But Europe stopped. I mean, they, they basically have postponed it for yet another year. And I'm sure, like, economics is part of that. So there you go. There you go. You're wondering, $5, five minutes? Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. All right. So I want to end this episode with a question that just, okay, if I, I'm not going to say anything about the Twitter app. So this is a question that came up. Some people have asked me, have I gotten the Apple Vision Pro? I have not. I have not. But maybe I will review it. I, 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 I'm interested to see where the technology goes. It's very a beta product, very first generation product. But it's kind of interesting to see where it goes. But I don't know. Like I would, I would, I think everybody, most people listening, my take on it was I tweeted: if you have thirty five hundred dollars to spend on the Vision Pro, take a trip with that money, and you'll have a much better experience. Like you'll have real experience. Like you'll have a memory. Like you'll, you know what I mean? It's, it, you'll be more fulfilling. That is old man screaming at clouds, me saying that. But he, Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD tweeted this question on Twitter on X. And I thought it was really interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my thoughts on it. I will ask you to Dennis. And then for all of you listening, I'm really curious to hear what you think. So the question is, the scenario is, imagine a theoretical VR headset. You could fully trick all of your senses that could fully trick all of your senses with perfect fidelity. You put the headset on and you see the highest resolution, perfect visual of the expanse of Grand Canyon or some beautiful natural wonder in front of you. If you could see perfect visuals and hear the birds chirping and feel the wind on your face and smell the grass, feel the warm sun on the back of your neck, and every sense is fully covered to the point where your brain is basically tricked into believing that you are actually looking at the Grand Canyon. When you take the headset off, would you still want to go to the Grand Canyon? What do you think? Do you have an answer? So I can see two sides of this. So I would still want to, personally, I would still want to go to the Grand Canyon or wherever. Um, I I can understand that, you know, the actual process, you know, you and I have talked about it, the actual process of traveling you know, going through airports or, you know, taking the train, mostly flight, I feel like is, is a big pain. And it can be, it's not always a smooth, you know, trip somewhere. And then once you get somewhere, it's fun, right? But so it would, it's kind of nice skipping the flying somewhere part, or like packing up all your things or, you know, staying in a, having to stay in a hotel, for example. But I think as even though that process can not be smooth sometimes, I think it's part of the the fun of try it can be part of the fun of traveling. And I wouldn't want to skip all of that, you know, um, if that makes sense. You know, if you're just putting on a, a headset and walking around your house or you know, <laughs> laying in your bed or whatever, uh 
you know, you, you miss out on part of the process of traveling and, you know, getting to a destination. It's part of the excitement. You know, if I, if I could just put on a headset every day, I feel like it would lose its, its, um, you would lose that sense of excitement of, you know, looking forward to a trip or looking forward to going somewhere. Um, so personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be into it, you know? But, um, but, but, okay. So you put on this VR headset, right? You've seen the Grand Canyon. Do you then not want to go to the Grand Canyon? In other words, like you weren't seeking let's say you've always wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. You've never been there. You put on the headset. You're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll look around like a trip planning. Let's say it is basically Star Trek holodeck. You know, that's the question. Do you still want to go? To I think it could. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think it could it could either make you want to go somewhere or you could be like, you know what, you know, it's probably not that much more exciting in person. I don't know. It depends on the place. Um, you know, you might, if you could feel all the feelings and sense everything, you know, as if you're there, you might say like, okay, maybe this is not really the experience that I was thinking it would be. And so I don't really need to, you know, put my resources into actually traveling there it might be a good way to weed out destinations you know if you're you know limited on time or money so my take on it is that it assumes that we travel and i'm just speaking of travel there's a lot of different experiences but it assumes that we travel for sensory input right we go yeah, we go to eat, but a VR headset, you can't eat. That's one of the big things of traveling. But let's say you could smell the, the bread of Paris or wherever, or or you could see the, 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 the sunrise the beach of Tulum or whatever. You When you travel, the sensory input is not the end goal, I think. I think a lot of people look at it like that, like, I'm going to go and relax. Okay, that's great. You can unwind and all. But like the destination is not making you relax. It's the experience of being somewhere different and focusing on other things that will help you to relax. If you have a VR headset, you're not going to relax. Because first of all, you're going to be on the headset for like what, an hour or, you know, whatever. And as soon as you take it off, you're not there. But also, I think you'll always know that what you're seeing is a programmed reality. There's no spontaneity. You won't meet other people with the VR headset. You won't have those like interactions with locals. You won't have those interactions with people you travel with where you have conversations or, you know, those where your mind wanders or I don't know, you meet someone who's traveling and they're on a long trip and they were here and they give you recommendations. Like you won't have all of those things. To me, the VR headset, if it's just sensory input, would be like taking drugs for dopamine, right? Like you can get that high, you can get a dopamine hit with a lot of different drugs, but you can also get that dopamine hit with, you know, 
visiting a, a new place or taking a new trip or having an experience or eating that first meal in France or whatever it is. So that's my take on it. However, if we do say it is like the holodeck on Star Trek, I think a lot of people will not want to go to that place because to them, a lot of people, to a lot of people travel is logistics. It is like a thing I do to get this result. Whereas I look at it as like travel is like this thing that I am place I'm going and I don't know what will happen. And that's what I like about it is you don't know the end result. With a video game, with a VR headset, with a holodeck, you you know that what you're seeing is programmed. It's not happening spontaneously. So you're not making those memories. But yeah, it might stop you from going. You know? Or or it might have the opposite. It might be like, oh hey, like call your friends and like, but if all the VR headsets are networked and your friends can join you in the VR, you know, remotely. I don't know. It's it's interesting question. I, I yeah, think we're, we're probably headed towards them all being connected and everyone having one and never leaving their <laughs> never leaving their homes. <laughs> yeah, to, to me, yeah, to me, I guess my final take so far on VR headsets is I see the utility in it work. Like it is kind of cool. You'd be on a plane and you'd have your own. Like, like if the Vision Pro, you have your own like laptop screen, you can watch a movie, all that stuff is really cool. But I think it is sort of leading us toward the problem that social media has caused where we're more isolated and we, we feel less connected with things because we are, you know? But yeah, you can go on Instagram and see all kinds of beautiful people doing all kinds of beautiful things. And, you know, Taj Mahal, all this stuff. And would putting a VR headset make you feel better? I don't know. But I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people are going to do it. I, I don't know. Yeah. They've they've definitely made movies about this. <laughs> where many, many movies. Behind yeah. a screen. <laughs> where everyone is stuck behind a screen and not paying attention to what's going on actually around them. So. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the best part of traveling is... People and food, those are my two favorite things. You always meet interesting people. You have interesting interactions. You see how different people live and you see how different people interact. And that really changes your view on the human species. I don't think you just go to feel good. If you if you travel, if you want to travel to a place and just feel good, you're going to be disappointed, man, because sometimes it <laughs> sucks, you know, especially if you're flying on a Boeing plane and the door pops off while you're in the air you know all right that was a weird way to end the episode but but we're at the end so something for you guys to think about let me know i'm really curious to hear what your answer to this question is let me know on twitter at fox nomad you can also email me podcast at foxnomad.com let me know i'm really curious to hear what you think hey maybe maybe it's better like maybe it's going to save you a ton of money and you don't like to travel like period but you want to see the stuff so might be great for you. Um, if it was a holodeck, I, I don't know. Holodeck addiction was was a thing that came up in Star Trek a lot. <laughs> so um, yeah, anyway, it'll be interesting. Let me know what you think. Uh, thank you, Daniels, for being a part of this episode. 
Um, it was, it's a really sort of interesting way. There's a lot going on in the travel world, and we are just almost getting into travel season. March is when it really starts picking up, so I'm excited. I have some travel plans coming up. Excited to share those with you. Lots going on. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for your five stars, five star reviews wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. You know where you're listening to this. Make sure that you give this episode five stars. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Dennis, for joining. And until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye.